0: One thing that I think they could improve upon is, is probably just dropping back from my hair is on fire, my book just released, it's not selling, oh my God, what am I going to do, I need money, to just kind of let's drop back, let's look at our plan, did you execute everything you wrote down on your marketing plan?
1: Welcome to The Author Biz, the show that's all about the business of being an author. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and this is episode number 40. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your time with me today. Let's get started with a question. When I say marketing, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Is it positive or negative? Do you love marketing? (laughs) Most authors don't. For most, it's a chore, something that we just want to get out of the way. It's something we know that's important, but we're writers, so we'd much rather just write than market. My guest today is Jennifer Fusco. She's a marketing professional, a serious pro with over a decade of experience at one of the largest companies in the world. She's also a romance writer, with her first book coming out this fall. But for our purposes today, She's the author of the newly released book, Market or Die, a down and dirty guide to marketing your book. Don't you love that title, Market or Die? I would choose market given those two options. Jennifer says that marketing is about building relationships, and those relationships will generate a demand for you and your work. That's it. And that's why I'm so excited to have Jennifer on the show today. She takes the tried-and-true fundamentals of sound marketing strategy and translates them into something that's understandable and actionable for authors at every level. But as you'll hear during the interview, marketing is not just doing things. It's about having a sound strategic plan and then executing on that plan. Before we get started, I've got a favor to ask. Reading Jennifer's book, which I highly recommend that you do, got me thinking about the marketing and positioning of this podcast. This is episode 40, and we've built a pretty substantial audience for the show, and I really appreciate and am so thankful for each and every one of you. I want to be sure that what I'm providing with the podcast is as useful as it can possibly be. So I'm doing a short listener survey to try and better understand what you want from the author biz. So here's the favor. Please go to theauthorbiz.com slash survey and spend three minutes answering a few questions for me. It will seriously take you no more than just a few minutes, and it'll be extremely helpful to me. All right, enough about me. Let's get back to talking about you. More specifically, how can you improve your marketing, build better relationships with readers, and create much greater demand for your books? Here's the interview. Jennifer, welcome to the Author Biz.
0: Hey, Stephen, thanks so much.
1: I will warn listeners you and I are in the same town. I think we live about five miles apart. And there is a thunderstorm blowing through. So, Can you uh,
0: believe it? It's raining in
1: Florida. <laughs> in April, and it never rains in April. So it's freakishly hot today, and it's thundering and lightning. So we may have some gotchas coming up that we will attempt to fix in the editing process for this. Jennifer has just written and published a new book with the clever name Market or Die. I mean, given the two choices, I'm going to pick Market. Um, I'm guessing that most, most readers would, would do the same thing, or most authors would do the same thing. Yeah, no pressure there. <laughs> I read the book. I really enjoyed it. It, it. Actually, I took some marketing in college, which was a long time ago, and this reminded me a lot of like it's like a college-level marketing course that's targeted specifically to authors. I think this is an incredible resource for people. What caused you to decide to write this book, Jennifer?
0: Um, well, it was, uh, it was kind of a, a marriage in the making. I uh, have known Deborah Dixon, who uh, is the publisher at uh, Bell Bridge Books, uh, for a couple years. And uh, I told her that I wanted to do it, and I told her I was putting a proposal together. And, and they had just started a nonfiction line, and, and she, uh, of course, is the author of GMC, which is Gold, Motivation, and Conflict. And Bell just put out, I believe last year, one on writing the fiction synopsis. And then um, kind of the, the piece that they were missing was the marketing piece. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I put a proposal together for this book, um, unlike anything I've, I've written before. I've written smaller marketing pieces and, and, and author marketing pamphlets and that sort of thing. Um, but I wanted to do a full comprehensive book. And I put the proposal in front of her and she snapped it right up. So. It was just really unique, uh, It was a unique experience, and I was really fortunate to be selected uh, by Bell to, to be the ones to do it.
1: And I, I would like now to, to publicly thank you and the publisher. I am so used to reading nonfiction books where the first 25 to 30 percent of the book is the author explaining why she is qualified to write the book. And you actually skipped right over that. You assumed that we knew you were qualified to write the book, and you just got into the book, which was a wonderful change.
0: Yeah, I, I, nobody cares about me. They they want to know what they can learn from the piece. Um, but, you know, if, if, if you're caught up in kind of how are you qualified to write a book like this. Um, I spent 14 years in corporate marketing for the General Electric Company, um, and I was sort of groomed and raised. In their way of how they go about marketing, and everybody knows they're very successful. Everybody knows the brand; it has extremely um, strong brand recognition, and how to build a brand and how to market yourself and your brand and your products. Um, so, what I took out of that 14 years is I picked and I chose sort of the uh, the lessons and the methodology that would that is sometimes college textbook stuff. But some of a little bit of what they did, and I sort of put my own flavor to it, and then Mm -hmm. sort of translated it into, well, how would an author use this? You know, how would an author use a competitive landscape analysis? How would an author use a SWOT analysis? Um, Which is textbook kind of stuff. It's marketing 101, like you say, in any college class. But, um, you know, breaking it down and, and... making it applicable to the author made me feel more like a translator than a writer of a marketing book.
1: And and to make it easier for the readers, myself included, you... You did this fabulous job of giving examples of everything. Rather than just saying, here's how you do it, and then moving on to the next topic, it's, here's how you do it, and then here's how I did it for this. Here's how other people have done it for this. And for me, I'm the kind of person who really needs to see those examples to – So take it all in. Otherwise, it it just kind of comes in at at sort of a high level, and I have a tendency to forget it. I found myself, while I was reading this book, I'm launching a new podcast next week. Well, by the time this goes live, it will already have been out for a couple weeks, called CrimeFiction.fm and i found myself going through the book and actually making notes about things that i should do to simplify the branding proposition and just as i was going chapter by chapter through the book i was using it not as an author with a new book but i was using the the strategies that you discuss in the book to to sort of build a brand proposition for this new show so it's 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 targeted at authors but it's a marketing book that Anybody who's interested in learning about marketing could benefit from
0: that's correct.
1: All right, now I have a, this is sort of a leading question, but it, it's sort of a bugaboo of mine. And another, I'm starting to sound like a cranky old man, which I, uh. I guess I sort of am. It's really easy for all of us to get wrapped up in the tactic du jour whether that be uh, something that we see about email lists or something that we see about metadata or very specific tactical things that change seemingly on a week-to-week basis. And one of the things that I love about this book is that it's strategic. It's teaching tried-and-true strategies that, that are specific to authors rather than the tactic du jour from, from last week that won't be working next week.
0: Right. Um, and I think with the strategy, that is the place where we need to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you're not going to change necessarily your your strategy. If you're a fiction writer, you're not going to change that strategy with every single book, um, you know, or, or with every single series, because you're still going after that romance reader, that mystery reader, that sci-fi reader, um, you know, and you're trying to grow your readership. But I think you need to begin with a strategy and, and and pulling it all the way back to, you know, who is my target audience? Who am I going to go after? And why do they care? Why do they want to read this book by me, you
2: mm-hmm. know,
0: this, this mystery author or whatever? Um, and I think if you have a well laid out strategy document, then as the, you know, algorithms change uh, for, for Amazon or, or, you know, your contest change or your newsletter distribution changes, you can kind of ride that ebb and flow because those tactical things that you're talking about will make you crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) They change so often, so quick um, Mm -hmm. and so hard to stay ahead of those. Um, You can't predict what's going to be working in your favor to sell a book in six months. You, You just, you know, with, with the rise of indie publishing and Amazon's in the mix and, You just can't say this works and that doesn't work because in six months, that story is going to change.
1: But a sound strategy is something that you can tweak going forward, and it's just something that's so valuable. And we really – we see so little of it because it's, it's the sizzle of the day that, that gets all the attention uh, when it's the, the sound strategies. As you pointed out in the book, early on in the book, you talked about writing advertising copy going back over a century and, and how some of those strategies still work extremely well today.
0: Yes. Yes. It's chapter one. It's effective communication. Um, and what I'm hoping is that the reader will learn how to do it. There's plenty of examples in chapter one to teach the reader how to do it. They'll do it or at least try it for themselves. And then, you know, I've seen a lot in social media, the link push, which is just like, here's my cover. And here's five links where you can buy my book. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and for every, you know, and, and that's not going to stop. You know, because those can be effective. It's the hard sell, but they can be effective. Um, But just try it. Just try the the effective communications and almost writing it like you would radio or television copy. And then put your link and then put your call to action and ease the reader into making a purchase rather than screaming, buy my book. Um, Because I think to some degree that does turn people off.
1: It, to a large degree, I think it, it can, depending on your audience, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. what's, what's the biggest mistake that you see authors making on a daily basis?
0: Oh, gosh. Um,
1: is there a single biggest, or is is it a collection of things?
0: I, you know, I hate to use the word mistake, because we all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but just one thing that I think they could improve upon— is, is probably just dropping back from my hair is on fire, my book just released, it's not <laughs> selling, you know, um, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I need money, to just kind of let's drop back, let's look at our plan. You know, did, did you execute everything you wrote down on your marketing plan? You know, are you taking your breathers? Are you stepping away from, from Facebook long enough to – To go out and make those face to face connections and networking, and or are you, you know, glued to your Amazon ranking? Um, Because that, again, those can make you crazy. Um, So I think it's just following the plan, making a plan and following the plan. Um, would be something that others
1: can greatly improve upon. And I think making the plan is is critical here, because so many times it's, we're so focused on writing the book, and then releasing the book, especially if we're self-publishing. There's not that big gap in time between writing and uh, eventual release. Uh, for many of us, it's just, okay, I'm finished, how quickly can I get it back from the editor and get my cover designed and get this thing out there? Right. And uh, we don't take the time to actually put together a plan Plan and and you walk through in great detail in in the book how to put together the plan what to do with the plan how it all works together and it's it's so comprehensive it's it, it's something that really made me think and I I, I suspect it will be the same for a, a lot of authors.
0: Well, thank you. Um, yeah, that's if if you were I'm, I was thrilled to hear that you kind of used it as sort of a platform to help build your your new show around because that's exactly what it was designed to do is sort of be this almost like a workbook, you know, yes, where you yeah. take out your your notebook and your pen and sort of draft these ideas for yourself so that by the end of market or die, you've got a document that you can start working from um, to plan for your release.
1: I have, I don't know, probably a dozen sheets of yellow notebook paper with different um, sentences written on them, uh, different marketing messages written on them, I'm trying to, trying to pick the right one out. I have not picked the right ones out yet, but I'm narrowing it down. And it's it's such an interesting process to actually do it. it it's, uh, I, I'm one of those people who just expect that the first thing off the top of my head is going to be brilliant, and that'll work just fine. But I didn't do it that way. I, I kept following the process and writing more and more of these, and then, and then just working sort of down the funnel that you guide us down. And it was so helpful and really fun. <laughs>
0: Oh good <laughs> well, I don't want it to be painful
1: <laughs> all right let's let's move on a little bit and let's talk about author branding you had You had a chapter that that went pretty deeply into author branding. first off, explain what author branding is, and then maybe you could share some examples of it and maybe some people that we'd know who who are particularly good at it.
0: Oh gosh, there's so many people that are really good at it um what author branding is, is it is your persona. It is your public persona, uh, your your persona that you that you are going to show your readership. Um, and it is basically who you are and what are your books about. Um, and I try to get uh, the authors that I work with um, down to like a, a five to seven word sort of phrase or sentence to say, here's who I am and here's, you know, what me and my books are about. And you know, we carry that message through uh, both in words and visually. Uh, the the making sure that the colors on their website kind of match the tone of what their message is to their readership, um, and just making sure that their professional appearance, you know, also kind of backs up the whole package, you know. And it and and are they carrying that branding through, you know, in their social media platforms and that presence as well? So. Um, again, branding is really, really simple. It's just who are you and what are you about? And then if you don't know, how are you going to figure that out?
1: And it seems so complicated. It, it's interesting that you say it's really, really simple. I've heard branding messages before, and I, I've I've gone to conferences where people talk about branding, and they talk for 45 minutes, and I walk out, and my head is spinning, and I don't really understand what I've just heard. Uh, yet you're telling me that it's really, really simple.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, had, um, I attended a marketing seminar many, many years ago. And a guy, I wish I could remember his name, but he, he broke it down, he broke branding down to the very basic concept. And the way he sort of taught it was um, it's an attaching an idea in the mind of the public. And the, you, you get the public to consume the idea by consuming the product. And that's the simplest message there is. For example, um, Dove Soap. Is a great example of perfect proper branding. Um, Dove is a beauty soap, if you don't know, a soap for women, mm-hmm. uh, and they they have you know if I'm I'm strong, I'm empowered, I take care of myself. If I use Dove, that's basically their their self in a nutshell. Therefore, they're advertising to women. They get women to then buy the product using their you know I'm empowered, I'm strong kind of advertising message that we see on television and, and whatnot. And then they get the people to believe that message by consuming and using that product. Mm-hmm. And that's branding, and it's very basic, you know, in
1: its very basic form. Now, in, in the book, you used as one of the examples of someone who brands particularly well, someone who was the guest on, or a guest on this show in episode number 15, Hank Phillippe Ryan. And I've I've seen Hank on Facebook, I've seen Hank at conferences, I've spoken to Hank on during interviews, and she is incredibly consistent and seemingly on-brand, if you want to use that term. Everywhere she goes, she seems very intentional about it. And I know that you talked with her a, as a part of writing the book. Would you, would you use her as, as a great example of, of someone as, who does it well?
0: I, absolutely. I mean, there, there are a lot of authors who do it really well. Um, in my opinion, Hank is one of the best. And that's why I chose her as the example for that chapter. She, um, she embodies her brand she, she, with the way she carries herself and she dresses and, and what she posts on social media. And it all is, it's, it's reflective of her and what she does and how she carries herself. And then her books are just a part of her brand and she brings you in and she wants you to, and I like her and she wants you to like her. Mm-hmm. I, she's a fascinating person. And, and I think everything about her is fascinating um, because she's, she's real and she brings that realness to her brand as well. And also, you know, she's an investigative reporter by day job and Mm -hmm. then her books are these wonderful mysteries, you know, especially the Jane Ryland, uh, series, you know, about this investigative reporter. So, um, you know, it all just kind of married into one fantastic brand. You know, she's a walking brand and, and she's fantastic. And so, yeah, any author who's looking for like brand examples, um, if you're in romance, look at Christina Dodd, um, Hank Phillippe Ryan from mysteries. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm sort of blocking on some of the other names right now, um, and and if I think of them, I'll come back. But but definitely, um, you know, Tawny Weber is another one in romance. You know, with her, uh, you know, it's all about the sassy attitude kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, her romance characters. So, and
1: and um, it, it's interesting because you you mentioned Tawny, and I, I I don't know her, and I don't know her brand, but you use the term saucy attitude. That's the exact opposite of Hank, but it's it's another brand that works. And I, I guess as long as you're consistent with your brand across everything that you do, then it, it's easy for readers to connect with you.
0: Exactly. As long as you say, this is who I am, and this is what I'm about, and you're clear on it, you'll get people to go, okay, that's cool, you know, I'm down with that. Or, no thanks, that's not for me. I don't particularly enjoy, you know really, really hot romance or, or Mysteries Aren't My Thing. You
1: mm-hmm.
0: know, it lets people know what they're going to get.
1: Yes, and, and there are some people—I've done shows and I've spent some time watching author blogging, and that's something that you talk about in, in the book, um, the idea of author blogging. And, and one of the things I've noticed is— uh, The authors who blog with the clearest voice seem to have the best connection with their readers. And that voice could be anything. It could be sweet and, um, you know, cookies and and milk. Or it could be every third word is a swear word. Yeah. uh, either one of those uh, allow you to connect really well with readers, and it's the people in the middle who who don't have the clear voice, um, who who vacillate back and forth that don't seem to have that level of success. And I guess this all comes back to branding.
0: It does, and also what you're comfortable with. Um, some folks aren't as comfortable with sticking themselves out there. Um, mm-hmm. I have, you know, I, I own a publicity services business as well. And I have a couple of clients who use pen names. Um, they're very, uh, very introverted, um, lovely, lovely ladies, um, but very introverted, um, really don't want to reveal a whole lot about their personal life, um, that sort of thing with their audience. And they're just, they just want to write good stories and build up a, a readership of folks who enjoy their stories. And that's okay, too. There's not nothing wrong with that. Um you know, I'm not saying that the, the person who has the biggest brand wins. Um, it, it's not a contest like that. But the person who builds the brand and sticks by it will be able to attract readers more quickly because they'll have the reader making that yes-no decision. Am I going to like this person? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or? Um, I think a little bit faster than someone who just wants to put out some stories and, you know, sort of hide behind um, – they're
1: pending. Well, let's assume that we have people like that listening to the show. What, what advice would you give to them that would be different than, than you might give to someone that's a little bit more out there, someone who's willing to, to blog more often and, and uh, do a lot of posting on, on Facebook? How, how, do you, how do you create a marketing plan for, for someone who wants to sort of just remain hidden behind the books? Um, you
0: know, it, it's not easy. Um, And I would, I definitely believe that everybody either is an expert in something or has a passion about something. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the books. It could be, you know, a charity or animals or, um, you know, maybe they're really good at mixing drinks. I don't know. Um, But somebody's really, everybody's really good at something. Um, So take that thing that you're really good at and build it in as part of your platform. Um, you know, and and blog about that, and talk about that, and and find other ways to bring people in, you know, to to, to you and to try. If you're not comfortable talking about yourself,
1: I love that. I love I love that everybody is good at something or passionate about something. That's and that's absolutely true, and it's something that most of us don't think about. We think that it only counts if we're really good about good at something. And, and our in our own mind, what's really good is completely different than, than what the world would think is really good. Right. Because we're, we're comparing ourselves to experts and the world is just knows us as someone who knows 187% more than they do about a subject.
0: Right. Yep. Exactly. Okay.
1: Um, you mentioned earlier uh, the, a SWOT analysis and an author landscape analysis. Those are uh, – SWOT analysis is a marketing term. Uh, obviously, an author landscape analysis is, is author-specific, but let's talk in detail about those. For someone who doesn't know what a SWOT analysis is, okay. what is it?
0: Okay. A SWOT analysis is a simple um, brainstorming list, if you will, of your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, you can do a SWOT analysis on anything. Um, if you're thinking about taking a new job, if you're getting ready to launch a book, really, you it, you just make a list and S is for strengths, W is for weaknesses, the O is for opportunity and the T is for threats. And so what you want to do is sort of brainstorm that list and pull out, you know, where you think you can do better. What are your weaknesses? Um, Look at what might hamper you from uh, doing what it is you want to do. A lot of times when I teach a marketing class and I talk about uh, this SWOT analysis, I use the library as an example, because Mm -hmm. you've been to the library. So, you know, what are the strengths of the library? Well, you know, it's free um, and it's open five, you know, five, six days a week. Um, What are the weaknesses? Well, Probably some of the materials dated a little bit They might not have the the most recent releases of this or that. And if you want to go at nine o'clock on a Sunday night, they're probably not open. So they've got hours, hours constraints, um, opportunities, you know, they have reading programs for children. Uh, they have community activities. They have, um, you know, book talks and things of that nature and the threats are things like the internet and bookstores. Mm -hmm. Um, so when an author applies that to themselves, you know, what are my strengths as an author? Do you have a really good network of other authors you can rely upon, or is that a weakness? Where does that go? Um, what are some opportunities? Where are you going to make connections and network, and what events are you going to, and do you have that cover? What are your threats? Um, you know, are you spreading yourself too thin? Are you publishing under more than one name, and maybe you can't keep up? Um you know, are you only launching an ebook, and so you're going to miss that print audience? I mean, what you know, what are the threats? What are some, and then how do you mitigate those threats? Is there anything you can do about it? How do you capitalize on those opportunities that you've got? How do you build up and play to your strengths? And then, of course, it's always good to identify your weaknesses so that when things do go wrong or something doesn't turn out as you'd expected, you can just look back at that analysis and go, "Yep, yeah, I planned for that. I understood that could possibly happen, because that's not
1: one of my strengths. And that sounds complicated. And Does it really? It, oh, it, no. it does. And it, it is a little complicated. But one of the things that, it, at least in my mind, there are just a lot of moving parts there. But when I read that chapter in the book, you gave so many examples that things sort of solidified in my mind. I mean, this is easy for you. You've been doing it your entire life. But I actually had to look up, I've heard the term SWOT analysis, but... I only hear it about once every three years, and every time I do, I have to look it up to see what it is, because I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I just know that it's a marketing thing, and we're all supposed to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about being geeky, but believe me, just try it. Everybody who's listening, just try it
1: once. Yeah. And and you gave a lot of examples. You gave the library example, and you gave uh, several other examples in the chapter that just solidified things in, in my mind, and I suspect it'll be the same way with, uh, with some of your other readers who struggle with this uh, the way that I do. Now let's talk about an, an author landscape analysis. This is something that some people do as a matter of course, and, and other people have never considered.
0: Right. Um, kind of how to do this one um, is to think about uh, yourself in relation to an author that is in your same genre, that is maybe midlist um, or a little bit higher on the list than you are, and then compare that person and yourself to whomever the rock star is. And every genre has one. Um, so who is your genre or subgenre rock star? Um, and then you want to look at things like you know their website and their social media presence and. You know, do they have a newsletter and if they do, what's on it and that kind of thing. And then you want to pick out what does, what is everybody doing between you, uh, the mid-lister, and the rock star. And then what can you take from those two folks and use it for yourself?
1: That's good stuff. And yeah. uh, it, it's easy. It, it's, it, 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 it's easy. It's to, easy to know who the rock star is. Um, although I will say, in some cases, the rock stars are such rock stars that they don't do anything on social media, or or they do so little that if right. we did it, it would be inconsequential. Right. But the idea of of the span of from where from where we're at to the midlister to the rock star and and seeing how that changes, because of course the uh, we haven't talked about author platforms, but. The rock star has a platform. His platform is the fact that his, his book is in the front of Barnes & Noble and in, in the Wall Street Journal and in the New York Times and in the airport bookstore. Just as you walk by, you see it. That's a right. pretty big platform. You don't have to right. do much when you have that platform other than keep writing down great down books.
0: Platform, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. If you break down that platform in detail, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and I've provided a checklist there in the book of things that you can look for. Um, there will be some things that the average author can take, some ideas, some mm-hmm. things they can use for yourself. You don't need a million dollars to be able to execute um, some of these really simple things that they do. I mean, look at their newsletter. Look at the content
1: right. of their newsletter.
0: Right. Uh, mm-hmm. What kinds of things are they telling their readers about? You know, obviously, maybe you don't have the the movie deal that they've got, um, or or if that's too far out of your reach, maybe you don't want to pick the rock star, you want to pick someone who's just shy of being the rock star, who's a little bit more attainable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but what, but the idea is, let's look at somebody who's a, a little bit ahead of you. And then let's look at somebody who's way ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And what things are they doing that you can use for yourself? That's the whole point of the competitive analysis or, or the author and, uh,
1: landscape analysis. And I, I just I love that the whole process of, of doing that because it's it's so educational because we, we all get so wrapped up in in what we're doing that a lot of times we don't go to see what what a competitor's website looks like. It, it might it, it could be that we're doing it completely wrong or, or or they're doing it completely wrong. But it's it's so educational to see because it fires off these things in your mind that uh, that allow you to, to think outside of your comfort zone.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I hate to use the word competitor, but, you in know, a, in, a, in a small way, um, mm-hmm. you know, authors are competing for, for the readership. There's plenty of readers out there, um, but, but it is a compen- competitive envi- environment. Um, you know, I, I don't know that, that authors would tell you that it's not. It, it is. Um, you know, you're, you're competing with not only other authors, maybe for Buy My Book Instead of Hers, but you're, I mean, you're competing with movies and television, right. and video games and mm-hmm. other forms of entertainment. Um, so what's going to, you know, capture that person's attention when you've got a new book coming out? How are you going to let them know that and give them that message? You know, because we've got to tell them we know at least three times before they actually, before it actually registers. Um, because we know and we care that our book's coming out, but they've got soccer practice and they've got to make dinner mm-hmm. and you know they've got church on Sunday, and they've got all these other things that they're doing. That maybe your book isn't the fourth what's in the forefront of their mind. Um, so we need to tell them, you know, at least three times that the book is coming out um, and when it's going to be available. And so, what are the different ways and the, and the different methods? How are we going to do that? And I think I think the uh, the landscape analysis helps to break some of that down.
1: Mm-hmm. Now I I am a numbers geek, so I I really enjoyed the. The section that you had on, on budgeting. And I, I think that's a great idea for everyone to budget. And, and you walk through it so nicely and, and laying out these, these different examples so that, that people can understand it. But the thing that, that jumped off the page at me, and you used this a few times in that section, was the idea of yours that we should invest in discoverability rather than being focused on sales when we're, we're doing this budgeting. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in discoverability because I think that's probably the hardest part um, for authors. There's so many great books out there and so many people and it's just that are writing and you just look out and, and, and you know, if you go to a bookstore, it's not even not even half of what's available, you know, um, by so many talented people. And, and and then you're like, okay, well, how are people going to hear about me? How are mm-hmm. they going to find me? Um, and I think... If you put, if you if you kind of have that question in the back of your mind um, that I want to make sure that people find me, um, and, and are these the ways to do it? You know, um, is the blog tour the way to do it? Is the advertising the way to do it? Are the you know the radio interviews or the the, the book signings the way to do it? I mean, who's to say, right? It's different genre per genre and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, but I think you have to keep that in the back of your mind. Is How am I going to meet these readers? How am I going to get out there? How are they going to recognize me or my name or my covers or whatever? Um, And if you can put as much as you can behind that um, and you write a really great story, I think you're setting yourself up for success.
1: So many of us focus uh, specifically, especially when it comes to budgeting, on direct relationships. And, And it's easy in some advertising scenarios to have a direct relationship that you can measure between dollars spent on advertising and actual sales but mm-hmm. i mean sales is is a different thing than discoverability discoverability is letting people know who you are and that you have a book out there. Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't buy this one, but maybe they buy the next one and love it and then go buy everything you've got because, like you said earlier, they've seen you multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, it's not something that most people talk about. The whole I mean, Obviously, there's a lot of talk about discoverability, but it's all in relation to being discovered so you can sell this book. You're, right. you're talking about it uh, – In more of a a career span kind of a way. In a
0: broader sense. And I I mean, I think um, anthologies are huge for discoverability. Um, If you can be a part of an anthology and and get um, together with other authors that are in your same genre, um, who, you know, you're getting a, your audience gets a sampling, not only of you, but others who are like you. Um, I think that's huge for discoverability, at least, because what you want to say is, what you want to hear a reader say is, "Oh, I've heard of that person. I've heard of that person. Oh, I think I've read that." You know, that's the best compliment you can get is, "I've heard of her."
1: Mm Mm-hmm. My screen went blank, so Uh -uh. pardon the silence there.
0: I thought it was another lightning strike.
1: (laughs) No, no. All right, now there was another thing that just jumped off the page, and there were a few of these, and I, I, I I really enjoyed this, but there was a section in. or a bit in your section on expanding your sphere of influence, where you suggested that we ask how instead of why. Um, do you want to talk specifically about that and how that can benefit us to to ask the how question rather than the why question?
0: It, you know, it it goes back to really the fundamentals of networking and looking at kind of who your inner circle is and, you know, I shared things with my inner circle that I would never put on Facebook. You know, those, those are my inner circle people. You mm-hmm. know? And then we kind of have naturally we have kind of this outer circle, which is a little bit bigger and a little bit uh, a little bit freer, I guess, in exchange of information, you know, and, and I would include, you know, your social media contacts in that. Um, and, and then I would go to maybe your next tier out being the folks we haven't met yet. Um, And these are all of your potential, you know, folks to -hmm. know, and your potential readers or your potential friends or or whatever. Um, And and the why of that is so important because our inner circle is always going to stay the same. Um, You know, we're always still going to tell our best friend and our husbands and our wives things. We wouldn't tell anybody else. Um, But that, sort of that next tier out, um, we've got to grow that as authors and we've got to work on bringing people in, um, and bringing people in to make sure that they feel that they know us and they like us. And I think, I think if they read your book and they like what you write, they're automatically going to be drawn to you because mm-hmm. your work is an extension of who you are. Um, so if they've read your book and they like you, they're all, they're already going to have an, a, a bit of an affection for you. Um, and I think that's just really important to career longevity in bringing people in, making them feel part of whatever, you know, your, your outer circle that you have going on. Um, and I think those are the people that are going to stick with you through the span of the career.
1: Now, there's there's a full chapter on social media marketing. And we could talk about that, but we'd probably have to do two more episodes because we could go on and on and on forever about social media marketing. But let me just say that you, that particular chapter is wonderful. It's packed full of do's and don'ts for each, each specific platform. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I said, we could, we could go on and on about that, but we just don't have enough time. Um, what, we're we're sort of running out of time now. What should I have asked you, Jennifer, that I haven't asked you yet?
0: Um, I guess you probably should have asked me uh, what can an author start doing today.
1: Okay, let's let's talk about that. <laughs> Let let's leave our listeners with something that we can all do today to improve our marketing.
0: That's right, and even you too, Stephen, because I know you've got newsletters
1: and things. Oh, good Email. Lord knows I need it. <laughs>
0: So um, what I would encourage you to do is take a look at your newsletter uh, subscriber list. Um, It doesn't matter how big it is. um, And divide that list into look at the open rate and who's opening and how many times they're opening your newsletters. And if you're not sending out a newsletter, you should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because as social media changes and fewer people are going to be able to see your posts, even when you promote it and whatnot, um, your email Contacts, your 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 newsletter contacts. That's the direct connection between you and your readership. So take a look at that list you've got. Whatever provider you use, Constant Top Contact, Mailchimp, whatever. Um, open it up. Look who, look at who is opening your newsletter the most, and or who has come back to it multiple times, and put them in the high column. So we want to segment your list into high, medium, and low. Then look at your list for your average. What's your average readership? Do they just open it once? You know, do they? Do they? You know, uh, maybe open it once and then come back to it a couple days later and open it again. So maybe they do an average of two. Where your highs open open and look at it maybe five times. Mm -hmm. Then look at your lows, um, and your lows would be those who don't open it at all, or opened it once and haven't opened it again in the past six months. Um, So segment that. Into thirds, your highs, your mediums, and your lows. Now, for your high list, what I want you to do is start communicating to those people more frequently, because they're already open in that newsletter multiple times, so they're interested in what you have to say. So change up the message um, and keep them uh, close. You know, make those like part of your like inner circle. Um, Inner circle, not like as close as your husband, but inner circle as far as maybe they get things that maybe in a day or two later we will go out to the general public. Maybe those folks are the first to see your new covers. Maybe those folks are the first to hear some sort of news you've got to share. Um, your medium folks, again, these are people who are actively interested. They're looking at your newsletter, but we don't want to bombard them with your messaging because maybe that might turn them off. Um, so just keep those folks, your mediums, status quo. And then on your low side, monitor those guys and if they're not opening in your newsletter if they're not responding if they're not clicking then maybe you want to exit them from that list um because it's really not doing either of you any good um if you're taking up space if, if you're on one of those mail platforms where you get charged mm-hmm. uh, for so many users or for so many addresses um maybe you need to refresh that list and go ahead and knock those guys off if they're really not interested and, and so I would say that's, that's sort of the basics of email segmentation, and I think that's going to be, going forward, uh, a new tactic that authors need to embrace uh, as social media starts to change.
1: That is awesome, and on this show it 's something that 's preached over and over again the value of the newsletter but i 've never really heard that segmentation idea before and it 's I know when I log into Mailchimp, I can see Mailchimp uses stars to mm-hmm. uh, to show you who opens it op- opens things the most, and so you 've got the five stars. Um, I think on my list, the lowest is the two-star, and I, I don't know what you have to do to get a one-star because I'm guessing the two-stars have never opened anything. So one-star must be – I don't even know, <laughs> <laughs> but it must that must be terrible. But it's an interesting idea to, to feed the people who are anxious to hear from you, uh-huh. um, yep. the ones that are participating, keep them at the same level, and, yeah, why not drop the people that aren't opening <laughs>
0: Right. Because yeah, you're just pay you're paying for them. For those new people that we're going to be drawing in.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea, and
0: especially if you're on one of those pay for platforms um, where you get over so many names and you get charged. You might as well dump the ones that maybe signed up two years ago and, and either forgot about it or uh, changed their email address and, and didn't update it with you or, or whatever the case may be.
1: And we just have to deal with a slightly lower number then. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. real. It's at least a real number. It's <laughs> go,
0: but that's okay.
1: <laughs> well, we've been talking about Jennifer Fusco's new book, Market or Die. As you can tell, I really like the book. I, I would recommend that, that people get this because it, it's just packed full of useful information. Jennifer, what's the best place for people to buy the book? Where, where is it available?
0: Oh my goodness. It's available everywhere. It's available both in print and ebook. Okay. So you can get it at Barnes and Noble. Um, you can get it at Amazon. Uh, it's for Kindle, it's for iBook, it's on Kobo, it's it's everywhere it's supposed to be. So, um, you know, Bellbridge has done a fantastic job uh with with the book or you can buy it on their web website at Bellbridgebooks.com.
1: And on the very back of the book, on the back cover, it says her first novel, "Fighting for It," a contemporary romance, will debut in October two thousand fifteen. Give us a little preview.
0: Yeah, and it, well, and one of the news uh, parts of the preview is that uh, the, the pub date got moved up, so it, it's going to publish September fifteenth. Oh, awesome! Yeah, and uh, it is a sports romance. It's a boxing uh, romance where a uh, heavyweight boxer falls in love with uh, his trainer, and uh, his trainer is a woman who. Uh, who inherited the gem from her father, who has uh, passed
1: away? Well, congratulations on that! Congratulations on marketer die, thank and you. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. What's the best place for people to keep up with you and your work?
0: Oh my goodness! Uh, come on over to www.marketerdie.net.
1: All right, we'll have links to Jennifer's website, to the book, to everything we mentioned in the show on the show notes, which will be at theauthorbiz.com/slash. Fusco, and that's F-U-S-C-O. So again, thanks, Jennifer. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Wasn't that great? As I'm sure you heard, marketing tends to get overly complicated for me, and I love the way Jennifer simplifies the process into something that even I can understand. Did you get the importance she places on creating a sound plan? Way too many of us spend too little time on the planning stage because we're anxious to start with the execution stage. And how about her description of branding? Wasn't that fabulous? This is who I am, and this is what my books are about. That's something that everyone can understand. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, please leave them at theauthorbiz.com slash fusco, where you'll also find the show notes and links to everything we've mentioned. Or you can at message me on Twitter. I'm at Steve Campbell FL. Now, before we close this episode, one more reminder about the AuthorBiz Listener Survey. Again, you can find it at theauthorbiz.com survey. It will seriously only take you a few minutes, and it's really important to the future direction of the show. And of course, it wouldn't be a close to the show if I didn't ask you to leave a rating or a review at iTunes. They are so important to helping other authors find the show. And when you do leave a review, think about leaving your Twitter handle inside the review so I can thank you. iTunes doesn't let us know who leaves the review. And far too often, the iTunes username is not something that allows me to identify the person who left the review someone named Broken Moon left an amazing review several days ago. One of those reviews that lets me know that all the work I put into this podcast every week is actually helping people. And of course, that's why I'm doing it. So thank you so much, Broken Moon. You made my week when I read your review. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Have a great week in your author biz, and we'll talk again soon.